0: You are listening to the Kensington Church podcast, recorded
1: live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org.
2: Good morning, Kensington. How you guys doing? Doing all right. Come on, the nine o'clock service was more lively than you guys. How you guys doing? All right. Welcome to those of you joining us online. We always love knowing that you're there. So thank you for joining us today. Today's a very special day around here at Kensington Troy. We've got a very special guest we'll hear from in a little bit. We're also starting a brand new message series called Table Talk. And all of just some of the wonderful moments of my life are sitting around tables with my family, with my friends. I think about moments where of deep connection with people and a lot of times it is around a table. It's probably the same for you, as well. And the most amazing thing is, we as we're talking about this the next few weeks, to think about the God that we worship, who took on flesh and invited us to His table. So we're going to celebrate that with these first couple songs. So if you're able to, would you stand with me? And we're going to sing together because I think something powerful happens when the church sings together in unity. So this first song is just an invitation for us to come together.
1: People
2: come together Strange as neighbors Our blood is one Children of generations Of every nation of kingdom come so don't let your heart be troubled just hold your head up I don't fear no evil just fix your eyes on this one truth God is madly in love with you so take courage, hold on,
1: be strong
2: God, God begins to move in us, through us, justice happens, love happens, we're going to celebrate that right now.
0: Hey, happy Sunday, everybody. You all can take a seat. Hey, if we have not met, my name is Andrew Kim, and I have the privilege of being on staff here at the Troy campus. And I want to welcome all of you here in the room. For those of you who are joining us via stream, wherever you are watching from, so grateful that you are with us and that we can be connected in this way. And I thought that last song was a great way as we enter into our day to be reminded of God's activity in our life. Because so often, whether we recognize it, whether we see it, or whether we even know it, that God is moving in a powerful way, not only in us, but also through us as well. And as I was reflecting on just even this past year, I know it's not over, but just even the past 10 months that we have been journeying through, God has done some extraordinary things through this community, whether it's us being having the privilege of coming alongside of under-resourced schools in our area to rescuing, being a part of rescuing young girls from human trafficking in a country thousands of miles away. One of the reasons why we've been able to do this is because of your open-handedness, because of the generosity of this community. And so we want to say thank you for that. But at the same time, we also want to be able to continue to do this. And so if you would like to partner with us in this work, we also want to be able to provide an opportunity for that. And so right now, we're going to receive our offering for the day. And so if you would like to give, if you would like to financially partner with us, there are many ways that you can do so. And our ushers are going to be coming forward with the offering bags, and that's one of the ways. But as you see on the side screens, there are a number of ways to give electronically, whether it's scanning the QR code, whether it's um, texting the word Kensington to 779, 977 or giving via the app or the website. All of those are fantastic ways. And so thank you for giving. Thank you for those of you who do partner with us in this way for doing so. Speaking of moving, we're also going to be celebrating the movement of God in people's lives in two weeks when we celebrate baptisms. And baptism services are some of my favorite services that we have throughout the year. And if you don't know what Kensington believes about baptism, what we believe baptism is, is that there's nothing magical that happens in the water. But what baptism is, is that it's an external symbol of an internal reality. And that when someone is placed in the water, it represents their old life before they came to know Jesus and before they came to follow him. That old life is buried in the ground. It is dead, that's what it symbolizes. And when they come up out of the water, it's symbolic of the fact that they have this new life. We have this new life in Jesus. And it really is a public declaration of that because baptism doesn't happen in our bathtub at home by ourselves, but rather in front of a community. And so... One of the things is is that if you would like to be baptized, if you are a follower of Jesus and you have never taken the step, we'd love for you to take that step in two weeks. And the last time we actually did a baptism service, it was out on the East Lawn at a midweek, which is our Wednesday service. And there were a ton of people who got baptized, and many of them actually shared their stories. And there was this one particular woman, and she was sharing her story about how she came to really rediscover Jesus And she said that it was during a really dark period in her life where she was diagnosed with a physical illness, and so she had all of the challenges there. And then her family members really started to struggle, and they started facing huge obstacles in their life as well. And she cried out to God saying, Why is this happening? What am I supposed to do? And she rediscovered who Jesus is. And the fact that he is able, he doesn't point to us, but he is the source of all peace, of joy, of love, and of hope. And it was this that really enabled her to really move through this incredibly difficult season. And so she got baptized to basically say, hey, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus. He transformed my life. And so if that is you, we'd love for you to take this step. And if you would like to find out more information or if you would like to register, all you have to do is go to kensingtonchurch.org forward slash baptism. Last thing before we all get up and say hello to each other. If you haven't been to Midweek, I also wanna mention Midweek, it's happening this coming Wednesday and Midweek does not happen in this room. It's our Wednesday service, like I said, that happens on the second Wednesday of every month and it happens in the chapel, which is probably in my opinion, the most beautiful room that we have in this building. And it really is incredible when people come together and we sing together, there's a short teaching as well. And so we'd love for you to come. Dinner is at six o'clock, 6.30 is the service and we love to see you in person this Coming Wednesday night. And so, on that note, before I tell you where we're headed in the day, today is a special day because, for a number of reasons, one of them being it's a 25 hour day. And so, I'd love for all of us to stand up, let's say, and share with the person beside you what did you do with that extra hour? everybody and so hey again um, I actually what I did I just told these guys what they asked me what did I do I watched Netflix last night so not exactly the most productive thing anyways so welcome everyone today we are in the very first week of our series table talks and over the next several weeks we're going to be looking at because when we look at the life of Jesus in the gospels what we see is that he found himself around a lot of different tables and probably that's the case for many of us as well And when we find ourselves around tables and sharing meals together, something special is able to happen. There's great conversation and there's great connection with people. And Jesus found himself at all of these different types of tables. And when we actually look at the types of people that he sat down and spent time with, we are challenged ourselves to many times widen the table as well. And so we're going to be looking at these different tables and how Jesus challenges us to do exactly that. And today, we don't have, I'm not going to be talking, because we have somebody even better than me talking, and I'm really excited about, Danny Cox is here. And so, why don't you come on up?
3: Nonsense. <laughs>
0: So clearly, obviously, many people know who this guy is. (laughs) Hey, and just in case you don't, if you're watching or if you're in this room, uh, Danny Cox is somebody who has had a huge impact on my life. Uh, You had a huge impact on my life and on the life of this community, not just here at Troy, but at Kensington. And I said this in the first service, but he has led us, incredible leader, but he led us through the most difficult time in the history of our community through the pandemic, and he did it in such a beautiful, beautiful way. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful you're here, my friend. Thanks
3: for for you. Love you. You know, the one thing you never learn from me over all those years is you can't give the claps up so easy. (laughs) I haven't done anything yet. By the end, you might be grasping to pull them back. Well, hello! Hello! Uh, we are so, so, so grateful. You guys have always been unbelievably gracious uh, to me personally, to to Amy, to our family. Uh, we've missed you. Uh, we really have. I've missed standing on the stage and looking out at your beautiful faces, kind of beautiful. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> unbelievably beautiful faces, dreaming with you about uh, what God's doing in this community. I think about you all the time. I pray for you, and I'm grateful uh, to be back. In fact, today is our eight-month anniversary to the day that we stepped away from me, my role here as a lead pastor and the the leadership roles I had for over 20 20 years and just kind of headed out on a new adventure. And we made a promise to you publicly that we wouldn't do real or I wouldn't do work for four to six months. We really felt like we needed to listen. And so there was a lot of jobs and different things that were offered, but we turned them all down. Probably not the smartest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm regretting that now at month eight. No, I'm just kidding. But... um, but it's been, it's been a wild journey. There's been a lot of changes. And I know there's been a lot of changes here too. And one thing that I, uh, I, when I heard about a change that excited my heart was when the leadership of this place decided to offer Andrew Kim the position of lead pastor at Troy. And so, Andrew and Robin and their family, a beautiful family. And Andrew is someone that I would say has a God-shaped heart. Meaning this, he's a, he's a person of faith that is willing to let God shape his heart. And that's the kind of leader that you want. And so I'm just so grateful, super proud of you, Andrew, uh, and and just dreaming for you guys for for amazing and great things. And so, like I said, there's been just changes, obviously professionally, ministerially. I'm gonna sh- share a little bit at the end of what where we're heading in 2023 and what I'm gonna be working on. And uh, so I'll do that later. But we've had another big change in our life just a couple of weeks ago. We had this little guy in our life. Check out, check out this name. Javier Montoya Twyman, that is his name, and if he's not a rock star someday, I'm going to be so disappointed, but but just so you know, he's here live in person to listen to his papa, so so check him out. I'm going to milk that for all it's worth. So anyway, so here's the second picture of, of Javi, check this one out. Now, this picture here, Javi is not even 24 hours old yet. Sitting in the hospital room, holding this baby. And look at my fingers are wrapped around his head. And I couldn't help, when I looked into his eyes, there were two things that came across my mind. The first one was this. I was talking to God and I said, God, how is it possible that Javi has more hair on his ears? (laughs) He has more hair on his ears than I have on my head. You know? And I was looking at Javi going, I really don't like you right now. I'm like a super jealous. That was the first thought. The second thought was of the idea of how God holds us. Because I could see my fingertips and I'm like, look at how vulnerable this little one is. And look at me. I'm, my hand is wrapped around his head. And I started thinking about scriptures like Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains or on the scales and the hills in a balance? I thought of Colossians 1. This is one of my life verses. For him, Jesus, in all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. As I'm looking at Javi, it's created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before everything. And in him, he does what? He holds all things together. I couldn't help but think of those scriptures. And then I thought of a story, a story that I had heard years ago, but I'd recently just read a couple weeks before. And I want to tell it to you because I think it bumps us into our day and and it'll it'll actually give us a little umbrella to work with. There was a three-year-old little girl she was an only child. She desired a sibling. And so all of a sudden, her mom is pregnant and they're going to have a baby brother. And she is so thrilled. She's over the moon about her brother. So the day comes and her, and her brother is delivered. And three days later, they bring him home and she's just can't, she's so excited. And she's talking about it, talking about it. And then she pulls her parents aside and she says, I need alone time with my brother. Not with you in the room. I, I want to be with him alone. And she kept bothering him and bugging him. And they started to get worried. Like, what's the plan here? But they had put an intercom in the room and they decided that it would be okay. They're going to let her in there and then they'll rush to the intercom. So that's what they did. She walks in the room. She looks back at her parents. She shuts the door and they run to the intercom and they turn the intercom on. And they put their ear to the intercom and they hear her little feet go across The wooden floor, and there's a moment of silence, and then they hear a little creaking as if she was taking her hands and pulling herself up on the side of the crib just to get a look at her three day old brother. And then what they heard next just gave them chills. They heard her say to her brother, Tell me about God, I've almost forgotten. Tell me about God, I've almost forgotten. I don't know how you take that story and I think it's a powerful little story but for me and I'm only going to speak from my perspective in this world that's filled with so much polarity so much brokenness so much darkness at times and beauty it's so easy to get lost in all of the things and drag us away from the real deep truth about God it's so easy for our memory to fade it's so easy for our instincts and memories to fade about the mystery and the wonder and the beauty and the power of an almighty and all-knowing and all-powerful and all-wonder-filled God. And we can find ourselves kind of grasping or lost, wandering, hoping to find something that will give us actual true hope and remind us of who we truly are, whose we are, and what the purpose is in our life. Tell me about God. I've almost forgotten. You know, The reason that we gather in spaces and places like this and in communities, I really truly believe it is because every human heart longs to actually be reminded that there's something bigger in this place. And when I held Javi in that moment, and I looked at him, this baby that's not even one day old is reminding an old man at 55 years old. Some of you are much older. He's reminding me as he looks into my eyes, there's more wonder than you think. Powerful, isn't it? Powerful little story. One author calls these moments that we have thin places. And I love that. Thin places are moments in our lives where the space between the eternal and the temporal get Smaller, where the space between the divine and the human, between heaven and earth, between God and humanity gets so thin that we can get glimpses into something so much bigger than we are. We can get glimpses of the kingdom of God, of how it should be and could be and actually is. And when we have those little glimpses, they fill us with so much hope. These glimpses, we've all had them, they could last. Seconds, they can last minutes. Sometimes they last hours. In the grand version of things, they could last days, even years. Sometimes these places are physical places, a a walk in your favorite woods or a favorite part of the city, or sometimes they're mental spaces or heart moments. Sometimes there are moments that happen to us like a birth of a beautiful little child or a marriage or a moment of healing or an authentic hug or authentic kiss from someone that we love so much or even a word of encouragement that all of a sudden our heart starts to open up. Have you had those? Have you? I think all of us have had those little moments. The touches of eternity remind us that God in these thin places of our lives can provide blessing. Sometimes they can sustain us. Sometimes they can literally change us. And sometimes they can literally save our lives. One of the reasons that we gather in these places and spaces, because all of our hearts long for experiences, to glimpse moments with God, the eternal. All of us long for more thin places in our life. That's my dream for us today. My dream for us today is that when we leave here, we've accessed just a little bit more of a thin space with God, or at least we're inspired to look for them. That's my dream. And I wanna remind you something as we read scripture, the person of Jesus, everywhere he went, every person he spoke to, every table he sat at, every meal he had, everyone he looked in the eye, every person he touched, every moment with Jesus, Is a moment that you can enter a thin place. And he's doing it even today. That's my dream for us. We experience that just a little bit more. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray for thin places with you. These moments where we catch glimpses of something bigger than us. And we're reminded of who we are and whose we are and what our purpose is in this life. Lord, we desire that for the day. I desire that for our community, for me, for our family, and for our families. So lead us in your way, Lord, that always has eternal value, that always presses us into thin places. Let us be reminded of who you are, because sometimes we forget. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, when Andrew asked me to do this weekend a couple months ago, I hesitated for a moment, and then I said, well, what is the topic? And he told me the topic was called Messy Table. So I went home, and I read a couple lines of what it was about, and I called him back, and I said, I'm in. Part of the reason I said I'm in is this message is a hand-in-glove message and really can't explain the reason why. Amy and I started to say, I think we want to go a little different direction than Kensington." it's not saying anything negatively about Kensington. It's just saying that we're prompting in our hearts to move a little different way. And this message is one of the messages in the scripture that has bumped me to move in this direction. And so I'm excited. Though the, ta- the, the message is called Messy Table, I've decided to rename it called The Open Table. And this story that we're entering into in scripture, we're looking through the eyes of Jesus and how Jesus created thin places and spaces for people this open nature of Jesus to see the radical nature of God's inclusive and open table heart, And so I'm going to read you the story, which is pretty popular in scripture, but you may not know it and that's okay. And I'm going to read the whole story. It's nine verses. And then we're going to break those stories down a little bit. And I think you'll be surprised at how much is really in these little nine verses. Let's read. Uh, we're going to be in, in, in the book of Luke. And by the way, this story is only told in the book of Luke. And so if you have a Bible and you have your phone and you want to look it up, it's Luke 19, 1 through 9. Let me read it to you. Jesus entered a city called Jericho, and he was planning on just passing through it. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short and he could not see over the crowd, he ran ahead And he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked at him and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's one of my biggest nightmares. (laughs) Someone comes to me and says, oh, guess what? I'm staying at you. I'm like, oh, can you give me 10 minutes? No, give me two hours. Anyways, but that's beside the point. So, so what did Zacchaeus do? He came down at once and he welcomed Jesus gladly. And all the people in the crowd that were following Jesus, all the Jesus-centered people, all of the people that were hearing all of Jesus' messages and they were following through the city as they were going on their way, what did they begin to do? They begin to gossip. They begin to mutter. And they begin to talk behind Jesus' back. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner, they all said. Now, when Jesus and Zacchaeus were in his home, and Jacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give you half of my possessions and I'm, going to give you to the, and I'm going to give it to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. And then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, who Jesus referred to himself as that, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost." Now, in some ways, you listen to this story and you're like, okay. Really, if you look at it on face value, think about it. This rich guy hears about this celebrity leader that's doing miraculous things and he wants to catch a glimpse of him because he wants to see what's happening. So he goes there and he gets around the people and he gets them in a the tree and he sees him because he's short. And then all of a sudden, the, the superstar and the celebrity goes, oh, wow, Zacchaeus, you're really cool. Let me come to your house. And he's like, of course you're gonna come to my house because you're a celebrity and you're really powerful. Come into my house. And so he comes into the house and something happens in his house. I would say it, that became a thin place. And something happened, and all of a sudden, Zacchaeus has a transformation. He goes, oh, you know what? I'm gonna t- I like what you're saying. I'm gonna take some of my money, and I'm gonna give it to the poor, and I'm gonna help people out, and thanks, Jesus. And then Jesus is like, guess what? You're saved. This is really good. You're in. We're done. <laughs> you could see the story that simply. But if you actually look really deeper, if you look harder into the story, you will find that this story you can mine out to very, very deep places. We don't have time today to to, to dive into every single area, but I'm gonna try to mine it as deep as I can for us. But when you look at it, you start to see how radical it was that Jesus publicly crossed the threshold of a home of this person, Zacchaeus and entered in and sat at a table. You'll see how radical Jesus wanted his teachings to be and what he wanted his people to actually be. And you'll see how radical they needed to be shaped, his followers, so that they could go on after he was gone to create a different kind of community. This story is interesting because it's set in a literary form which is called ring composition. Think of a circle cut in half. There's nine verses. And it's really interesting what happens. Ring composition means that the first half mirrors the second half. So you have nine parts. Or Jesus enters. Zacchaeus is introduced. The crowd is introduced. Zacchaeus goes up the tree. Jesus enters into the middle of the story. There's the first half. Something happens, and guess what? Flips. Zacchaeus comes down the tree. The people there that were once around Jesus, they start to become hostile. They were friendly with Jesus. Now they change and they become hostile to Jesus. Zacchaeus has a transformative thing and he changes from the first to the other. And then Jesus ends by saying, a beautiful, loving challenge to the people and to this this house. You see this kind of thing like this. And here's what I want you to notice. Jesus is at the beginning. Jesus is in the middle. And Jesus is at the end. What's beautiful about this tiny little story is it gives the mega narrative of all of Scripture. John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, Jesus in the very beginning of time. Revelation 21 says that Jesus will be coming back, and he will be making all things new. And now in this time that we all live, Genesis 3, Revelation 20, that keeps going, he's in the middle. And this tiny little story, when you start to look at how it happens, is how Jesus operates, how he will always operate, and now he's operating now. That's <laughs> a really beautiful little thing to mine out. And so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just go verse by verse. And hopefully, as we illuminate verse by verse, these nine little steps, that hopefully some of this will re- resonate with you and, and kind of change perspective on what God is, who we are, and what our role is. Luke 19, verse one. Jesus is said to enter a city, Jericho, and was just passing through. He had no plans to actually stay in this city. He was on a mission. If you look in scripture in Luke, you'll know that he's heading towards his great work on the cross. So he's moving towards his ultimate, ultimate work. We know in the Christian faith that Jesus is considered fully God and fully man. He's come close to his creation and he's cloaked in humanity. We're going to celebrate that in just a few weeks at Christmas. And we know by his own words that Jesus came on a mission. His mission was to save the world from the devastating effects of humanity's selfish nature that leads to the harming of others. He came to battle what is commonly referred to in the Christian realm as sin. Sin is, easy way to explain it's a virus that affects all people. Jesus said he came for the sick, not the healthy. But who's the sick? You know, sometimes I look out at you and I'm like, I can see all the sick people here. It's not me. You know, sometimes we do that. What did you you just do? Did you just do that to me? Like, what is going on with that? You're like, yeah, you and I are healthy and the rest of the people are sick, right? That was so good. I love you, brother. I missed you, by the way. So, but think about it. We tend to think that we're healthy or maybe healthier than someone else. But in scripture, it says that we all are touched by this virus. And Jesus came to eradicate that virus, to save us from ourselves and to show us a different way to live now, say now, now Now. and, oh yeah, thank you, and into the future. (laughs) I trained you so well, you're so obedient, so amazing. Uh, But he's training us in a different way now. The way I like to look at it is this, Jesus came to impart a new operating system, a new software system in the computer of humanity to eradicate the virus, that it's making it not function properly. Let me ask you something. How many of you have had a virus on your computer? Right, let me ask you another thing. Are all of you PC users? Cause I've never had one on Mac. You guys didn't get that. Macs are the best. You guys are all PCs. No, I'm dividing the room right now. But when you have that happen, what happens? It's so frustrating. And the worst is when you get the spinning thing and everything goes black and it's like, oh no, I lost my whole life. You know, but viruses can be really intense. And Jesus came to do that. When we really believe that, that Jesus came to do that. And sometimes in the Christian faith, people think Jesus came just to give us a ticket to eternal life. We think about heaven. Oh, I've got my ticket to heaven and I'm good. Now, there's truth to that. It says anyone that places their faith in Jesus shall never perish but have eternal life. There's something more. But I was sitting down with a friend of mine this past week and he said to me something interesting. He's gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the four gospels that explain the life of Jesus when he walked this earth. And he said, if you take a pen and you circle all the places that Jesus talked about how we should live now, and then you take another pen and underland all the times that Jesus started to talk about heaven, The times that Jesus talked about how we're supposed to live now is enormous comparatively. Jesus came to give us a way to live now. And so he's on this mission and he's walking through this town and he's paying attention. And it says that there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was very wealthy. In this culture, what is happening is Zacchaeus is a Jewish tax collector, and he's working for the Roman Empire, who's the oppressive force over the Jewish people. And he has now become a collaborator with the enemy. And within his neighborhood, they see him as the enemy, a traitor, a collaborator, someone that's causing harm, part of the oppression and part of the problem. What's happening with Zacchaeus is he's been telling you, I the Roman Empire says you need to go collect the taxes, and here's the amount you need to collect. But the people don't know the exact amount, so Zacchaeus is upcharging them and putting the rest in his pocket. How do we know that? Because he's really wealthy. So he's cheating them. He's part of the problem. And it's here it says that he's a chief tax collector. So what does that mean? He's a leader of leaders. And he's training his other leaders to operate this same way of the world and to cheat and to hurt and to harm people, even his own people. And guess what? His community hated him. He was an enemy of the community. What's interesting was he wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. It says he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short and he couldn't see over the crowd, he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming close to him. Now, I think it's kind of funny in scripture that not only is this guy hated, but he's super short. I mean, that's a funny thing in there, Right? He's a short guy and, he, and he's hated in this culture. You know, it's funny. One of the writers says that in this culture, when someone has that kind of wealth and power, when they would walk through a crowd, the crowd would part because they would show him honor and respect. The crowd didn't part, did they? You can tell how they felt about him. Here's a little side note about the culture that's just an interesting thing to know. People of that kind of stature and wealth They would never run publicly. You'd never see them run. You certainly would never see them climb up a tree. It was considered to be a shameful act. But what does Zacchaeus do? He runs ahead. He climbs a tree. Now we can start to see a little deeper thing. And why does he want to see Jesus? We really don't know. I think it's maybe just because Jesus is so famous. A lot of us are like that. I remember years ago, my wife worked at this hotel as a director of sales. And, uh, we pulled up one day in front of the hotel, and we were standing there, and Amy goes, don't look, don't look, don't turn around, don't look. I was like, okay, what's happening? Just don't look. Okay, look. You know, and I turned around, and there's JFK Jr., John John. He's right next to our car. And I thought, oh, wow. And she's like, I know. You know she was like, like, he's so dreamy. How did I get less with you? I get it, I get it, all right, all right. Yeah, he and Javier have the best hair ever. But anyway, so, so I look back and I see him like, oh, gosh, it's junk. You know, I get all twitter painted And it's like, what is wrong with me? I caught myself. But why is that? Because we kind of are attracted to that. We're attracted to him. Maybe that's the reason. We don't know. But what's interesting is Jesus, in the climactic part of the story, which in this kind of composition is always the middle, The climactic part happens when Jesus reaches the spot where Zacchaeus is. He looks up and he calls Zacchaeus by name. And he says, come down immediately because I want to go in to your home and have a meal with you. How does God know Jesus' name? How does does Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? Well, he is God. You know, he probably knows his name, but how? Some theologians believe and some writers believe that it's because the crowd hated Zacchaeus so much (laughs) that they were yelling at him. And they were screaming things at him and telling him how awful he was. By the way, these are Jesus' followers. Don't forget that part of the story. And so Jesus publicly calls him by name and invites him into his home, invites himself into his home. And by the way, you have to realize that in Scripture there is a theme that goes on. And the theme is that God is always inviting God is always saying, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened with all of these things in your life, come to me and I will give you rest. All the children, come to me. This is beautiful invitation. God is always invitational in that way. And he invites Zacchaeus into his life. And you have to understand that for a person of Jesus' stature in that community, for him to invite himself into somebody's home would have been unbelievably offensive to everyone around that heard it. Because normally what would happen is he would enter a town and they had already set up where he was going to be celebrated. And they would invite him in. No, he's inviting himself in to something. The most hated person in all of that town. And Jesus calls him by name publicly and then invites himself to go into the most hated person's home. Jesus' idea of who is welcome to his table and what tables Jesus will sit is very different than our idea of who is truly welcomed at our tables and what tables we will set. And Jesus is starting to open up this table and he's starting to train people in a different way of thinking. He's starting to let them see that his idea of welcome is different than theirs. So what does Zacchaeus do? He comes down right away. Oh yeah, great. The rock star wants me in the house, let's go. And he runs down and he welcomes Jesus gladly. I always love what one author said. He goes, the sign of a disciple of God is the speed of obedience. When you hear God, how fast you run to God. Very interesting. Zacchaeus immediately responds to God's invitation and he welcomes Jesus into his home. And being invited home for a meal is such an intimate and honoring experience in the Middle Eastern culture. It still is to this day. Years ago, we were in the Middle East and uh, we were in part of Palestine and we were hanging out with a guy named Nabil. And he was a woodworker. And I'm not kidding you. He was Nabil, the candlestick maker. He actually made candlesticks and they were amazing. Three times he invited our group to come to his home. We had a busy schedule. Three times. By the third time, we didn't really respond. We didn't take him up on his offer. The host of our community pulled us all aside. He looks at our leader and he says this. If you do not accept that invitation, you're profoundly hurting that man and his family. Don't let him ask you again. And then we accepted it and came into his home and it was lavish what he put upon us. It was so beautiful. This is an intimate moment that is going to happen in this home of Zacchaeus. Now, how does the Jesus followers react to Jesus' radical act of inclusion and affirmation of Zacchaeus, the enemy? It says all the people saw this and they began to gossip. They began to mutter. They began to speak poorly behind the back of Jesus. And they say, Jesus, he's gone to be a guest in a house of a sinner. The crowd's rejection and anger against Zacchaeus now turns to rejection and anger against Jesus. The crowd's hatred of Zacchaeus turns into hatred against Jesus. And don't miss this. Jesus makes a public decision to take on the rejection and the anger and the hatred upon himself and extends his love to the enemy of that time. Did you you catch it? It is a small little moment that points to the grand thing he's going to do on the cross. Did you see how much is in this little story? Amazing. Jesus took it all upon himself. Don't miss this point. Jesus' act of acceptance and love towards Zacchaeus, the one the crowd rejects and hates, turns into hatred toward Jesus, who is the very source of love. Whew. So what happens? They go into the house. We don't know what happens inside that house. I don't know if he, I'm, I'm pretty sure he didn't take Jesus' hands, or you know, Zacchaeus, give me your hands. and He holds his hand and said, let's say the sinner's prayer. I don't think that happened in that home. I think Jesus sat down and had a meal and had conversation and looked into Zacchaeus' eyes and told him who he really was. And when that moment happened, there was a thin place. There was a moment where eternity came to the temporal. There was a moment where heaven kissed earth. There was a moment where Zacchaeus could see the kingdom of God how it could be and should be and really is. And a transformation happened because every time you have have an experience with Jesus, transformation is going to happen. And then Zacchaeus has this incredible moment where he says, "'Lord, look, here and now, "'I give half of all of my possessions to the poor, "'and if I've cheated anybody, good Lord, Zacchaeus, "'you're in denial.'" You haven't cheated anybody. You've cheated everyone. What are you talking about? He goes, but if I cheated anybody, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Here's what really happened in that house. When Jesus sat at Zacchaeus' table, Zacchaeus' table started to become wide open. His response, when he realized the radical nature of God's love, grace, and mercy for him, the worst of all sinners, is what? Here's what it is. It's tangible transformation. It's tangible justice. He's going to give all he's going to have to the poor. It's tangible reparations. I'm going to do what, what I, the, the wrong that I did right. I'm going to make it right. It's tangible. It's tangible action that's going to go to the well-being and the flourishing of all Neighbors. When we encounter the thin places and spaces with God, we are transformed and then we go out and we take that transformation to our neighbors for well being and flourishing. And Jesus responds and says, Today, today, Zacchaeus, you are saved. Salvation has come to your house because this man too is the son of Abraham. What is he saying? He goes, Now you're in the lineage of faith. Now you're in the faith family. Now you're heading in the direction of the kingdom. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. (laughs) Powerful little story. Here's a little nugget for you in that culture. In that culture, when you were deemed unclean, meaning you were full of sin, you've done wrong, you've all these kinds of things, when you were deemed unclean, the only way you could get clean again was to follow a set of rituals, temple rituals, set by the religious people at the time. And you had to go through all of them. And then sometimes you'd have to publicly go to the temple and you have to make uh, uh, offerings and sacrifices and all these kinds of things. You know what's the most radical part of this story? Jesus didn't do any of that. He says, eh, we don't need this. You know what you need? You need me. And here's what you have to say. Jesus is offering... Forgiveness and salvation to all in all various kinds out in the street. Do you realize how angry the religious people were at that? Jesus bypassed all their rules. And he said, come to me because ultimate forgiveness and ultimate salvation and ultimate transformation is only one place in the person of Jesus. That would have shaken the ground and it did shake the ground of that time. What we see in this story is how Jesus views the other, the unwelcomed, the outsider, the fringe of society, the sick, the sin-filled, even the oppressors and the abusers. That is radical. In that time, people were trying to create communities that they would call restored communities, and their strategy was this. They would, they would have groups of people, and then they would push out all the ones they seem that weren't clean and good, and they would just keep their own little people, Jesus came and he said, no, we don't do it that way. As followers of Jesus, we bring everybody in. I love how N.T. Wright puts it. He's a great writer, and uh, he's, a, he's a great great way to put it this way, but he says it this. Jesus created his restored community by bringing people close. This renewed family was open-ended. The poor, the children, the tax collectors, and the general riffraff of society were invited to belong Jesus' table with sinners became one of the central symbols of his whole agenda. Listen to that. Jesus' table became the central symbol of his whole agenda. If that was his central symbol, then guess what? That should be our central symbol. A table that all people can come to to find belonging. I'll tell you something. When I hear this story, and so many like it in Scripture, I can't help but be inspired to create spaces and places that are wide open and available to all people who are sitting at that. And that's what really has inspired Amy and I to start moving in a slightly different direction. Let me tell you a story. I was driving up I-75 going to do a wedding. In fact, the couple is here. <laughs> you guys. Uh, the couple is here that I was driving up to do this wedding. And as I was driving up, I was thinking about how many times I've drove up 75, and we used to vacation for over two decades up there. I'm sure many of you have too with my whole family. And we used to go to a place called Bear Lake. And we got any Bear Lake people here? A few of you, you're too embarrassed to say. It's a beautiful place. And so we go up to Bear Lake. And at Bear Lake, you you, you can take one road, five miles. First four are just straight shot. The last mile is straight downhill. And when you get to the bottom of the hill, there's Lake Michigan. This is gorgeous, gorgeous thing. we, We'd run it, we'd bike it, we'd walk it, we'd drive it. It's just a beautiful place. As you come down to the bottom of that hill, on the left side of that hill is an artesian spring that's been there for decades, 80 years, 80, 90 years. It's called Old Faithful. We have a picture of it. This is Old Faithful. And you get down to the bottom after running and biking and walking, and man, you just put your face in that, and you would drink from that. And I'm telling you, it is the sweetest greatest, cleanest water, they've tested it. It is incredible. And you just drink and you are so refreshed and you are so brought back to life. And all the people of that community, actually, when you're there, you'll see cars pull up, back things open up, they fill up all their stuff, they load it in, they take it back home. It is a source of life. So I'm thinking about this as I'm driving up to do this beautiful couple's wedding. And then I started thinking about how Jesus defines himself. Jesus said that I am the living water, that I am the bread of life, that anyone who drinks from this water will never thirst again. Anyone that eats at my table will never be hungry again. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. And then a thought came to my mind. You know what I think we do sometimes in churches? And I'm not saying Kensington, I'm saying church in general. You know what I think we do sometimes? We put guards and fences around the water. And we start to decide who can come close to the water, who can put their face in the water, who's worthy of a little drink and who's worthy of filling up every bucket they have. Who's willing to bathe in the water? Who's, who's willing to have a little sip of the water or who can we actually, who's the person that could take the water and give it to somebody else? And I start thinking, you know, I, I really have a vision to create a, a space and a place where we tear down every single barrier we can to the living water. Meaning this, if we believe, which I do as a follower of Jesus, that if someone tastes the person of Jesus, just to give it just a little sip of it, that it'll turn into transformation, why would I ever put any barrier up to that person? I want everyone to be able to come to the water and drink. Yes? You know what I mean? <laughs> If you knew you had a life source that all someone had to do is take a little bit of it and their life would be transformed, would you hold it back? Would you put up barriers? Would you ever say, no, you got to get better before you can come and take a drink? No, I'm sorry, we wouldn't. And so we started dreaming. And actually, the vision that, ha- that I'm moving into in January is something that happened to me six years ago. It's taken six years to sort of come to fruition. And it's called the Open Table Collective and Nicole Wilson and Tom and Amy and I and a few others are getting together and dreaming about what it could be. What could a community be? And it's called the Open Table Collective. We're gonna actually, um, you know, the Open Table Collective is simply this. It's an organization that's fully affirming and fully inclusive, meaning wherever you're at politically, wherever you're at in your life, wherever you're at sexually, however you identify, doesn't matter where you're at, you're welcome to the table. You're welcome to this table and experience Jesus. So, it's a fully and inclusive and affirming organization that's going to curate courageous and safe spaces and places for all people to come and to wrestle with their faith and grow in their faith, find out more of who they are, and then eventually work, slowly move towards the work of flourishing and well-being of all people. And we're gonna do that by curating conversations and content. We're gonna do that by uh, hosting live events, virtual events. We're gonna do that uh, by, Nicole's working on some soul care initiatives where we can help and train people how to take care of their souls and then thus take care of other people. We're partnering with other organizations that are already doing beautiful work and being and flourishing of everything. And we're gonna move into these spaces and who knows? In a year, in two years, in six months, we don't know, maybe it'll even form into a, some sort of faith community. We're not trying to press on it too much. So if you wanna be part of it, if you wanna at least understand what it is, uh, we got a little graphic and you can send us a text. Uh, you, if you scan that, um, you know, you, that'll take you right to a texting option. You'll get some prompts that we wrote and then we can, we'll go back and forth. If you wanna email us there, here's what you need to know. This is gonna start small. This is going to start slow and it's going to start in January 2023. So if and don't worry, we're not going to send you 50 million texts. You know, and this isn't going to be a Kensington. This isn't going to be any of that kind of stuff. We're just going to start slow and we're going to start moving and see where God leads us in this new space. And this story and the stories thereafter have really inspired the idea that can we create a different kind of a table? Can we truly create an open table that all people can come and sit and be a part and belong and be transformed together. Here, I'm gonna give you a couple action steps out of this for this season. We're heading into the holiday season. We're heading into Thanksgiving, which is a great metaphor for a big table, a big messy table. And then we're heading into Christmas. And so here's a few action steps, and then I'm gonna pray for us uh, by reciting a prayer that a friend of mine wrote. Here's some action steps for us as a community. Number one, I would ask you over the next day, over the next week, to reach out. Reach out, pray and ask God if there's someone you can reach out to in this season that maybe you've excluded or maybe has canceled in your life. Reach out to that person. Number two, invite. Invite someone to your table. Listen, many times we're like, boy, I'm not inviting them to the Thanksgiving table. It's gonna be a mess. Yes, it needs to be a mess. Invite somebody to your table. Not somebody that's friends with yours. Invite somebody that you can say needs that table because there are people out there that need to be invited to the table. Third one is this, listen. When you invite some to the table, here's what I'd ask you to do. Listen to their story and don't judge their story. Just listen. The Bible says, be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. Be quick to listen. Fourth one is this, connect. Connect to organizations, connect to us, connect to anyone that is moving in these kinds of spaces. And then the fifth one is this, to pray. To honestly and earnestly pray and say, Lord, what would you have for our family? What would you have for us? Put somebody on my heart and then give me courage to move towards them. Now I'm gonna end with a benediction that my friend, Father Ken Tanner wrote. Father Ken's right down the street. He's an amazing, amazing leader. He's loved our family really well. He functions on a whole different level than I can never get to, but I love how he writes. And so I asked him permission to use some of these things. And here's what the last thing I'm gonna say. On Tuesday of this week, and you're like, oh no, he's going political. And if he talks about politics, I'm gonna walk out of here right now because I don't want to hear this because I don't come to church to hear about politics. And if you're gonna talk about politics, I'm done and I can't take it anymore. And I'm so divided and I can't do really Hold on. Hold those thoughts back. On Tuesday, an open table can be destroyed. We have a profound opportunity to keep our table open, even for the ones that don't vote like us and have the same values as us. As followers of Jesus, that is a trait that we have to have. Because no matter what happens, there's gonna be a tendency to close our table. And what I'm hoping is this week, it's gonna force every one of us to open our table a little bit. And Father Ken speaks so beautifully into that. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Whatever an open posture looks like for you, could be like this, could be like this, could be like this, could be anything. I want you to get in that posture right now. Because if we're talking about being open, let's have our body language show it open. And open is a place where we receive. When we're closed, we can't receive anything when we're open, we can receive. I'd like you to receive these words because I think they're profound and prophetic. Let's pray. Father, may we remember that all politics and all platforms and all legalities and all borders and all leaders are temporary. Father, may we resist the temptation to place ultimate trust in any person, policy, party, movement, or nation. Even a beautiful idea that is embodied by a nation because there is no nation with an eternal foundation, not one. Father, may we know that our kingdom, your kingdom is not of this world, but of the world that is coming to this world. And that kingdom is not yet here as it should be and as it will be eventually. Father, may we see our work in this world, all of our callings and activities as a participation in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Father, may our posture towards every human leader be driven by respectful prayer and where protest and prophecy and nonviolent resistance are needed. May we have the courage to speak, oppose and critique in humility and in charity. And lastly, Father, May we trust that God, that providence, is working behind the scenes of history to draw all things to good, fitting, and a proper end with justice, with mercy, and with love. Amen. Thank you all. I love you. Thanks.
2: Thank you, Danny. Such beautiful thoughts today, such a beautiful focus uh, about the open table that we've all been invited to. And As I was listening to the themes of today, I also thought about this. Jesus has invited us to this open table, but he's also left the table to chase us down when we couldn't get there and bring us there by his grace. Time and time again, and we find ourselves at this place recipients of mercy, and when we realize how much we've received, our response is to praise him in the worship. This is what I want to invite you into right now, just for the last few minutes that we have together. Let's just worship this God who is so loving, who is so just, who is so merciful, who has invited us and reached out to us time and time again. Would you stand with me if you're able to? No wall you won't kick down Lie you won't tear down Coming after me Oh, the overwhelming Never-ending Reckless love of God Oh, it chases me down And fights till I'm found And leaves the 99 And I couldn't earn it Oh, I don't deserve it. But still, you give yourself away. Oh.
1: You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and, of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.